And welcome to the Actual Astronomy Podcast, the podcast by amateur astronomers. For amateur astronomers, I am Chris, and joining me is Shane. How are you this afternoon, Shane? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well. We are two amateur astronomers who do this podcast for visual astronomers just like us because we love to do it. <laughs> That's basically it. And like we've said, too, normally you and I would just have these conversations. So why not record them and throw them out onto the internet? Yeah, sounds good. So this is episode 46. We're going to do a first light review of the Skywatcher AZ-GTI. That's a mount that, uh, that I purchased over the past four months. It took a little while. And you're going to do a last light review, I think, of the Masuyama 35 millimeter vintage eyepiece. I am. Yes. Yes. And yeah. you're, you're becoming quite the expert on Skywatcher AZ mounts. Yeah, <laughs> unintentionally so. So uh, we did our first uh, 365 days of astronomy podcast, and I think we had some nice positive feedback from that this week. That was pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, it was really the the concept of the astronomy 365 podcast is pretty cool because like it's not like a, a dedicated group of people podcasting like you and me on this one. They're like kind of an aggregate of multiple astronomy podcasts, um, you know, so they took hours and uh, it's still our podcast and it shows up as actual astronomy, but it's fed through, um, you know, the astronomy 365 feed. So all of their subscribers get to uh, hear it. And it's, it's a, it's a neat concept and I'm glad we're a part of it. Yeah, me too. In fact, I started listening to, that was one of the first podcasts I ever listened to back in the, in, I think it started around 2009 uh, for the International Year of Astronomy. May have started just just like maybe a few weeks prior to that, but I remember I was right in there um, listening to it from from the very beginning. And uh, I was pretty dedicated for, for many years to listening to that almost every day. Oh, wow. For a yeah, because every day they release a new podcast or, or feature a new podcast from, yeah. you know, one of the many contributors. Yeah, and I had some friends that had done, like a lot of people back in those days were doing just one-offs where people would get together, they would make one up and they would, they would send it out. But of course, as you and I know, podcasting back in those days was a little bit more challenging because we did our own and there wasn't the uh, sort of the automated feeding uh, of your podcast out to different sources. You had to kind of do a little bit of coding there. I remember I had about three pages of notes and, and how to actually get these things up. And the recording part was so much fun. And then it was hours and hours of work afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the infrastructure just really wasn't there at that time for, yeah. for podcasting. So this, this is a lot better. Um, let's see. In their write-up, I thought it was interesting. They really noted that we are two Canadian amateur astronomers. And uh, that while this is accurate, <laughs> I think we should, kind of like in full disclosure, our main dark sky observing site is... Uh, literally three miles north of the Montana border. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, we're it, we're quite close to the U.S. at that point. Yeah, we we really are. So, although yes, in fact, we are Canadian amateurs. We are literally observing on on the the doorstep of our of our friends to the south there. So, um, I guess my my caveat with that, if people are kind of imagining that we're we're way up in northern Canada somewhere, um, that is. Uh, Unfortunately, not, not accurate, I, I suppose. Um, the other thing is, is that uh, we both travel to uh, under, under different circumstances than, than the current pandemic circumstances. Both have traveled uh, extensively to the, to the United States for, for vacations and such, so. Yeah, yeah, definitely all over, 
uh, many states, uh, you know, between us, I'm sure we've probably crossed a lot of them off the list. Yeah. And I actually lived on the, on the West coast in the U S uh, off and on a couple of times. So oh, really? <laughs> kind of, kind of need to mention that as well. So yes, I'm, I'm a Canadian, but uh, have spent some, some extended, not uh, more than just vacation stays uh, in, in the States and have family and friends down there. Uh, so, so there, there is that um, we're not just, uh, I guess, two, two guys that are living way up in Northern Canada that, uh, that have never traveled beyond our borders. So. Want to make sure that was known. So, my uh, astronomy class officially now has a wait list, which I think is is quite interesting. It's never had a wait list before. Well, congratulations! That's a good thing. Yeah, I think the uh, the Zoom uh, virtual classroom this has been a boon uh, to to my astronomy class. So, as you know, like you you come and and have been a very kind guest presenter on on many occasions. I think probably in maybe even half the classes on average. Um, you probably noticed that the numbers were, were kind of getting down in, in the past year or so as well. Yeah. Like I think when I started, I would want to say that the, the class size was probably 15 to 20. And I think yeah. the last time I presented there was three or four. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, although the class was larger, I, well, the last class that you and I did together was literally, um, days before the World Health Organization announced the pandemic. And I think that was actually influencing the numbers at that time. Because yeah. uh, when I, when I kind of look back at some of the, uh, I think the, the, the sort of notes I get from the students at the end of the classes, they were like, yeah, I wish I could have made it, but I stopped going out that week. So, so anyhow, there, there was that. But uh, last night, hey, did you get out and observe the conjunction between Mars and the moon? Uh, I sure, yeah, yeah, I sure did. Um, now, uh, I did it just with my eyeballs, no telescope. Okay. Um, but yeah, I couldn't believe, like, you know, I knew they were going to be close, but until you actually see it, it it's, uh, it's quite stunning. You know, I, I was even surprised, again, knowing the measurement, I was still surprised at how close they were. It was, it was a very nice view. I, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was one of the uh, best conjunctions I've seen. I had the telescope out on it and I uh, was, was testing out the, the mount we're going to talk about in, in a moment and uh, had the 100 millimeter on it and low power, my lowest power, widest field eyepiece and uh, showed my wife and she was just, she's not really that into astronomy. She's a, a person who crochets and that's her, her passion. Um, but she was really blown away by seeing uh, Mars and the moon in the same field of view and you could you could just you could see so much detail on the moon and then you could see the martian disc although at uh at just 17 power you, you couldn't really see any detail but we did up the power and the scene last night was quite quite atrocious it was it was pretty horrendous yeah. well yeah i was out earlier in the evening uh with a telescope looking at jupiter and saturn and i i would say this was last night was the worst seeing i've seen this year uh, so the telescope went back inside and I just enjoyed the sky with my eyes for a little while. Although one thing I, you know, I, I think you probably noticed this as well as that was some beautifully warm observing weather for September. We were, we went out for a walk before and it was 22 degrees and came home and it was 24 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Yeah. It was super warm. We, we went out for supper last night and when we came back at around 8 PM, I think it was still like 26 degrees Celsius, which yeah, this time of the year, it's quite nice. Yeah. yeah. And uh, minus three tomorrow. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that's no joke. It like, that's the sort of the strange part about this place. I remember when I moved here 
And uh, we were having one of those days where it was 28. And I was looking in the forecast and it said it was going to snow. And I was like, I'm like, I think the forecast is broken. There's, it can't snow. It's 20, it's like 28 degrees or whatever. It was 29 yesterday. And then, uh, yeah, apparently like tomorrow morning or something, it's going to be, I, in fact, I'm reading minus four now is, is what's in the forecast. So. Yeah. We, we harvested everything in the garden this weekend, uh, because of the upcoming frost. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's just not like, I mean, where I'm from out East, like you kind of get, you get like so many touches of frost before it starts. Like it, it's a very gradual process. Whereas here, like one day it's 29 and then two days later, um, you know, you'll be single digits and, and you could be into to the mid negative digits. And like the time we always reference going down to grasslands where we were having a, a 20 degree day and then we started observing and it was minus four by sunset. And then it actually went to minus 20 that night. <laughs> so 30 degree difference. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't like the weather, just wait a half an hour. Yeah. I mean, it really, I mean, this place is, and I've, I, I've read this, it's something like it has the largest diurnal temperature difference, meaning the, the largest temperature difference between like your daytime high and your nighttime low of, uh, I think of anywhere in North America. And I mean, I, I say that it sounds crazy, but I, I think that's true because I've been out at plus 38. I was observing with Mike one day in the grasslands and it was plus 38. And when we get up the next morning, it was minus three. So that's 41, 42, something like that. So. Yeah, yeah, there's some big swings, especially this time of the year, because it can still get warm during the day, but you know, the, the nighttime definitely cools. Okay, so let's see. You turn around a 35 millimeter Masuyama. Shall we begin <laughs> with your last light review? <laughs> Yeah, um, so we've talked a little bit about this eyepiece, uh, I think on the last episode or a couple episodes ago. Um, it's got such a, you know, I wouldn't say cult following, but kind of uh, online. Like on cloudy nights, if you search for the Misuyama 35 millimeter, there's all kinds of like super positive reviews and people uh, praising this eyepiece like no other, like it's one of the yeah. greatest inch and a quarter wide field eyepieces money can buy. Yeah. I mean, I was really excited when you bought it. I had looked forward to uh, maybe trying it out. Yeah. But yeah. That's not going to happen. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I probably could have kept it, I guess, for you to try it. But honestly, Chris, I, I don't think you would have liked it. <laughs> to Really? To, yeah. So um, where to start? Uh, maybe I'll start with the eye relief. Um so it's advertised as 24 millimeters of eye relief, which is really good for yeah. people that wear glasses like you and I. Yeah, yeah it should be um, awesome for that. But yeah, I, I couldn't see the field stop. I couldn't see the entire field of view because the, like the top of the glass, the lens is recessed quite a bit into the eyepiece. Mm. Um, I would say seven or eight millimeters, maybe, you know, give or take one or two millimeters. Oh. Uh, you know, so if it's eight, you know, now you're down to 16 millimeters of eye relief. And typically people that wear glasses need around 20 millimeters to see the field. Yeah. View. And uh, yeah, I just, I couldn't get it all in. Um, so oh. A, that was a disappointment. Yeah. Um, and then B, this is what really killed it for me. Um, and uh -oh. I'm super sensitive to um, like crisp stars. Like I, I don't want aberrations. I don't want like the stars turning into seagulls at the edges of the field of view. And this eyepiece was sharp probably for the first 60% or so, 
But then the outer 30% of that field of view was just a slow degradation to the edge of, uh, really? of, of the stars. Yeah. So um, I just, I, like that, I have a hard time tolerating. Um, especially. So what telescope are you using? The Takahashi uh, 76 DCU in and its so uh, native F7. configuration. Oh. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like it shouldn't have been like a real stress test on it. Um, no, that's really disappointing. Yeah, so I decided to sell it. Well, and, and then a couple other factors that I'll layer on top of that. It's Number extremely one, it, expensive. <laughs> well, it's expensive, um, but it's it's kind of a big eyepiece and yeah. it's a heavy eyepiece. Um, yeah. So I also have a 24 millimeter panoptic in my eyepiece case. The panoptic mm. beat it, in my opinion, in every category. So mm. it was an easy decision for me to say, I've already got a better eyepiece than this that covers the wide field in inch and a quarter, uh, I will sell this one. And I did. So it's gone. Huh. Huh. <laughs> now, I wonder, like, there is a part of me that's curious of, um, you know, did I get one that somehow the lenses came out of alignment or it was just a bad copy of it? Um, like mm. Maybe if I... If, because given all of the positive reports online, I'm so, I was so surprised at the views that I had. Yeah. It just didn't live up in any form to what I was expecting. Yeah. Though, like, I mean, sometimes I do find that quite a bit is that like sometimes like, well, the real world experience is, is a little bit different. Um, like, especially for like you and I observe in many ways the same and, we're, we're really pushing the limits here and going, you know, to the darkest places and really kind of putting a, a rather critical eye to things. So it might, might've been totally fine for, for somebody else. Um, you know, it's the same thing. Like I know in, in some of the texts, some of the books that we've recommended, they'll even say, well, you know, pretty much every eyepiece is more or less just as sharp in the center, which, which is true to a certain extent. But, uh, but, but I think like you and I have, have done comparisons like, you know, you're, you're coming off a comparison of the Pentax uh, five millimeter XO and the TMB super monos. And I mean, so you're, you're going from the absolute best of the best of the best sharp all across the field of views to anything else is going to seem murky. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like, even compared to the panoptic, like there, there really was no comparison. I just, I was really disappointed with this one. Yeah. Well, um, Teleview makes good eyepieces, right? I mean, they do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, the long and the short of it. I think they, they're probably making the, the most consistently good eyepieces. I think that's a pretty fair statement. Yeah. Make. And I, I think if you want wide field um, and you want it to work in a range of uh, different telescopes, like different focal length telescopes, Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to beat Teleview. You know, they'll work in F4 or 5 telescopes and, and yeah. up, whereas yeah. not every eyepiece can work in, in fast telescopes without, you know, real degradation at the edges. Yeah. All right. Anything else to add on the on the 35 millimeter that's uh, the Masuyama that's gone to the uh, actual astronomy black hole? <laughs> we've we've cast it to the black hole. Uh, the only thing I'll say is I, I still have a curiosity to look through another one uh, just to see if the view is the same or if I did end up with one that just, you know, was maybe a lemon. Well, I think you should look for a um, 35 millimeter uh, Celestron Ultima Halloween edition 
because mm-hmm. um, they're supposed to be uh, pseudomasiemas, so essentially the same optics, but they don't look as recessed. Or a, let's see, there's two other kinds. There's the Bader uh, Udioscopic, and then there's also the, the let's see, Orion. the Orion Ultrascopic. Yeah. I think we're and and then Parks Optical, uh, mm, right, yeah. Gold Series or something like that was yeah. also supposed to be pseudomasiana. So, um, yeah, for anyway. sure. I'll, I will keep my eyes open, and if I can come, if I can try one out, I certainly will. Yeah, because I I always wanted to uh, get one as well, because sort of ultimately I wanted to be able to run my my tax in just one quarter mode. Um, just for, for lightweight and some other, you know, means like that. Mm-hmm. So, okay. You ready? you ready for my first light review. Finally of the, uh, AZ GTI by Skywatcher. Uh, you know, I can't wait for this. I've been waiting, I think since, uh, May, April or May for this review. <laughs> I ordered it and it, and this is, I'm not blaming anybody but myself on this. So I ordered it at the end of the first week or the middle of the second week of June. And uh, I order I order much of my astronomy equipment from Stefan Broquet, who runs what's called Astronomy Plus, which is uh, one of Canada's largest astronomy retailers. Um, and and uh, they carry he carries uh, I think I could be wrong, but I believe it's about the widest selection of astronomy stuff in Canada. I've been buying from him for twenty years. Always had awesome experiences. But I was working and he knew I wanted this mount and he wrote me and said, hey, I get these mounts coming in. Great. And I just went, pressed buy, click onto my workload. I was working on something very concentrated and I clicked on the GTE instead of the GTI. It was my fault. I did it. I looked at the record. I had my bill of sale, the whole bit. It's all saying, Chris bought this. Chris clicked, you know, it's like, you know, uh, so so I kind of messed up. But um, I got the GTE. It took a long time. So I was really confused because I was like, man, I thought Stefan said these were coming in. And then he had to like go and get me one of these GTEs because it was harder to get. And in the end, he, he, we ended up swapping it out and I got the GTI. But I was able to try the GTE first. And then I was able to try the GTI. So um, I, think it's, I think it's worth mentioning. They both work pretty similar. Although, uh, and what these are, is these are Skywatcher branded alt azimuth mounts. So they work just left, right, up, down. They're very simple mounts, but they also work electronically and they will track the sky objects. Like if you want to look at the moon, it will track the moon across the sky um, or deep sky objects or whatever. It also has go-to functionality. So you uh, go to Jupiter if you're on the moon and it will slew across the sky and go to Jupiter. Now, the GTE, you have to use um, a hand paddle or, or the software on your iPhone to control it, uh, one or the other, and that's how you slew it around the sky. And lots of people would be fine doing that. So you can either just press the buttons and slew it around the sky, or once you get a line, just tell it to uh, go to objects and, and you're gonna observe those and it will, then it will track them. I can't use them out that way. <laughs> Yeah, because, when you get used to the manual controls, like like manual uh, manipulating amount to have to wait for motors and things to slew around the sky is really frustrating. Yes. So I realize, and there's a there's a bit of a warning, and although some people say it's fine, and it and it is a really good mount, it's very high quality. I gotta I gotta stress, Skywatcher really did an awesome job on this. Um, 
I just couldn't help it. I, I, I knew I was going to start grabbing the telescope and just wanting to aim it at stuff as well. Like if your batteries run out or you're far from a plug, like you're, you're out of luck. Right. And I like the fact that with the, uh, with the GTI version, you can just point it wherever and you can actually like switch the, the tracking off. Like, you know, this is a great map for small, low power telescopes that can do planetary. And, um, Really, my, my, my main goal for the mount was to be able to track and, and to do astronomical sketching of planets from home. Um, but with the GTI, like I could take it out to dark sky sites and, and if the planets are up, I, I can look at those and track and we can all have a view of them under high power without having to recenter them too much and then, uh, and then just switch off the tracking and just, just observe like usual uh, how we do. And, and that really, really appealed to me and it does work. But I will say this. I was very hesitant to send the GTE back, even though it wasn't exactly what I was looking for, because when I tested the tracking, it was awesome. And I was really concerned because I had read some reviews online where people had a little bit of difficulty with the tracking. Things would only track for a few minutes or whatever. And it was keeping things pretty close to the center for like a dozen minutes. And I was like, that's really good. Like without any real alignment, just basically here, track this object and then boom. It was, it was tracking it. Um, and so I was a little bit nervous because I heard that sometimes with these mounts, uh, they, they just didn't track as well. So I thought, well, geez, if I send this one back and it works essentially like really, really well, maybe I'll get one that, that didn't work as well. But I'm happy to report that the GTI that I got, I don't know, I've been using a little bit more and I think I'm just getting used to it, but it tracks at least as good, maybe just a hair better. So... <laughs> I think whatever problems maybe they had, because that's, that's two samples kind of back-to-back um, of the GT and the GTI. And, and this one, I can keep stuff in the field uh, for about maybe 12 or 15 minutes um, of, a, of a high power, say over 100 power IP. So that's, that's pretty good without really focusing on centering it too much. And like we were observing the moon and, and Mars last night, as I said, through very low power and like we had it on there for like 20 or 30 minutes under super low power wide field and it, it felt like it never moved like it was really really neat it was going by a tree and we could kind of see the, the tree moving by very slowly and um yeah it was it was really really awesome so i'll get into this a little bit more so i really like it so far it's it's doing pretty much uh what i want it to do um Let's see, I'm just gonna scroll down here. Oh, I got it with the 80 millimeter F5. I haven't tried that out yet. It's just a low power wide field acromat. I really like them. I already have one. I thought that I would get it. Maybe sometimes somebody will, will want a telescope and not be too sure. I think the uh, 80 millimeter F5 by Skywatch or Mead, a variety of uh, distributors sell these. And I think they're great, awesome little beginner telescopes. So. Uh, I was able to get that for just uh, an extra $30 when I bought it. Um, but typically, I think you can get these with a four or five inch Maxudov, um, which I think if if somebody was getting uh, just into astronomy, that would be, and they want to look at planets, that would be a, a great setup to have this mount and a little four or five inch, uh, I think there are four inch uh, Sudov with it, um, would just be a beautiful little combination because you could literally get... This mount, that thing, I, I think it's like, maybe it's like $530 Canadian. And then you, uh, you would just need to buy really like a couple eyepieces. And that's all you would need really to get going. Because um, typically, I think we found that with any kind of tracking mount or whatever, usually you need to buy a fair bit of stuff or it's quite expensive. 
And I think they've really created a, an awesome mount that uh, is, is very affordable. Yeah, and, and that Maxudov, like uh, especially the five inch, is a really, really capable telescope. I've owned mm -hmm. two of them actually in the past. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, the, um, uh, I was going to keep them as like my observatory telescope, just leave it mm. outside in the dome. Mm. Um, the, the issue I had was the dome would get so hot during the day that it, it's, it really added to the cool down time required for the telescope at night. Mm -hmm. Um, and those Maxudovs hold heat. Like they do take a little while uh, to acclimatize. Yeah. Um, so I ended up selling them, but uh, I had some great views of Saturn and Jupiter uh, through those. Cool. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to run through uh, some of the pros and cons of this mount. And um, before I do that, like overall, the mount is awesome. So in particular, I'm using it with my 60 millimeter F10 Takahashi. Uh, refractor and that mount with that telescope is absolutely perfect like it is so good it's ridiculous the way it works like I there's just nothing better so my tack is a very small and light telescope and I have a heavy Takahashi Lapides Altaz manual mount but it has like slow motion controls just their manual controls um, but that telescope is is way overmounted with that, and that that can be a little bit of a problem. Like it's it's a you know harder to slew it around the sky, and you feel like you're really like heaving on the telescope to move it. I don't like that. And then I have a small portable Universal Astronomics dwarf star, which um, it works well on, especially for low to mid power. Um, but once you get much over 100 power, um, you are kind of uh, you know, limited by that manual hand tracking and without any slow motion controls. Um, but putting it on the GTI has just, I mean, it just works so, so well with that little telescope. Um, and you can just change eyepieces very easily. It's, it's very easily balanced. Um, let's see what else. So the main pro is that this is a very lightweight mount with a reasonably high weight capacity. So the mount itself only weighs about three pounds or 1.3 kilograms. It's really, it's a real one-handed mount. And I've actually added um, a couple things. I've added a, a set of batteries to it, just some lithium batteries, which weighs probably three or four ounces or something like that. And then I've also added um, another base to it. And then I'm leaving the, uh, there's a little pier that comes with this mount. Um, when you buy the tripod and, and telescope option and I'm leaving the head of that attached. So even with those things, uh, you know, cobbled onto it, uh, it's still a one-handed mount, which I like because I can grab the mount head and uh, I can drop it on my tripod, which uh, is outside and then, um, you know, bring an eyepiece case outside with me. So it, it's nice. Usually like the tech uh, Lapidus mount is so heavy. It's, you know, it's a two-handed mount. It's just barely a two-handed mount, but it's a two-handed mount. And the uh, carrying capacity of this mount is 11 pounds. And so with my 60-millimeter uh, tack uh, and some eyepieces, that it, I'm under half the weight, and that works amazingly well. Uh, so I think, like, if you're using uh, a 60 uh, or, like, a 76, like your Takahashi, which would be pretty lightweight, I think that's where this mount is... Uh, is sort of perfectly aligned. Now, I'm also mounting my 100 millimeter DC Takahashi on it. 
and I've seen lots of people mounting uh, Sky Nannies. Uh, it is uh, getting to, I think it's getting to the limit when you're, when you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Sky 90s weigh a little bit more and then the 100 DC is just a little longer. And, you know, when you factor in the weight of the rings, the dovetail, the diagonal, the eyepiece, you're probably getting close to that capacity. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think, like you said, mostly I think it's the, uh, the length mm. versus the weight. Cause I, I loaded up my 60 and, and it's uh, close to a 600 millimeter uh, focal length. So I think it's just getting a little bit long as well. Um, on the two nights I've headed out with the 100, I've headed out a couple more, length, more nights with the uh, 60 than with the 100. Um, it was really windy. Like last night was winds gusting to 50 kilometers an hour, 30 miles an hour. And they were hitting the house and hitting, I was on the deck and they're hitting the sides of the deck and there's like a bush hitting the deck and that's a lot of vibration. Um, so, but, but I did notice with the focusing, it did uh, kind of move move around a little bit but you know for tracking uh we're at 105x 15 minutes still reasonably uh you know close to the center of the field of view like definitely still in the sweet spot um and also the manual mode is excellent um so this kind of surprised me so even without the tracking it's still a really good manual altaz mount i was i'm really really impressed it's very pretty smooth motions in that one little caveat I'll get to, to in a minute. Um, and let's see, it's very quiet. That's the other thing. Um, when, I, when I got the GTE, I was really frustrated at first because I didn't think it was tracking. So I was messing around with the app and I was like, okay, you're on Jupiter. Like, why aren't you tracking? Why aren't you tracking? And so after five minutes, I'm like, wait a second, after four or five minutes, it should be out of the field of view. And it was still in the center of the field of view. So I was like, it's tracking. And then I put like super high power on it was, you could, you know, after, you know, five or six minutes, you could see it was starting to get out of the field, but uh, you know, it, it, it tracks without any sound. There might be a little, there was one night it was really quiet. And I thought it could kind of hear it like, you know, but it's, it's so quiet. And so for the, uh, I think it's called the point and track feature, there's virtually no sound to it, which uh, I quite like. That's nice. Hmm. That's pretty awesome. Um, you know, the, it, it's kind of a, like there's not a lot of options for a lightweight grab and go mount that tracks, but also has like manual alt as capabilities like that. So it really sounds like a winner. Yeah, I think it is. Um, for the price, uh, like I said, it's around $500 Canadian for, for everything, um, including a telescope. <laughs> that is... Um, and how, for how good it is, I was really surprised when, when I got the first one, um, how good the quality is there. There's a couple little caveats, but I think for somebody, especially for somebody who's just getting started, um, and maybe for whatever reason, they don't want to go the six, eight or 10 inch Dobsonian route, which is typically what, what I think you and I recommend for, for people getting started. I think this is a really, really great way to go because, you can say, there's the moon. I'm going to point at the moon. I just want it to track. Like that's what, in my experience, most people who are getting into this want to do. They want to say, I want to look at the planets. I want to find a few things, but they don't want to mess around that much. And you can take this mount out and without really, without any alignment, um, you just say, well, like, for example, people who take my class, I can show them how to find Jupiter, Saturn, 
you know, all the planets um, using a basic star chart. So they can find that. Most people can do this right off the top. Um, but then, you know, you get the telescope in that. And if it has like a, like a more than a one or two step process for setting up the, the go to the alignment, um, it gets very frustrating for them very quick. In fact, going beyond that for me, I find a bit frustrating because I would rather just point and have a track, you know, maybe that's just my own laziness or what, I don't know, but this mount will do that very perfectly. You know, they've, they've really done a great job. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's see. Um, and it takes, uh, eight double A batteries. Like I said, I think they'll last a long time. I've had it out three or four nights. I bought really good batteries. I think I mentioned those before. The uh, Energizer Lithium blue and silver ones. Uh, I used to work for an IoT company, and those are the ones that we use in our IoT devices. They last uh, an amazingly long time. So uh, probably buy another pack of those soon just for when these ones uh, conk out. But again, the great part is, say we're at observing and like, I don't know, maybe there's 30 or 40 minutes left of tracking. I might, I might get a couple nights of that out because I'm only going to be using it on planets or certain objects. And I'll just flip the power in that off when I'm just like low power looking at other things or, you know, don't need the tracking for whatever reason. Um, you know, it's just really nice. So, so I think the batteries, I think gonna, I can get a lot longer out of the batteries than I originally thought. I thought that I'd be kind of turning it on and then they, they would take more power, especially where... Um, I'm not using the go-to that much. I'm just going to point and track. But I'll say this. I did try the go-to last night. My wife really got mad at me because I always, you know, kind of, you know, maybe, maybe we'll give somebody a hard time for using go-to. Because I, I think people really should, should learn the sky as well, even if they do have a go-to. But I want to test out, make sure it worked. And it worked after I pointed at two different objects. So I had to go to um, Jupiter and Saturn or maybe another object first and, and do the point and track. And then after I did that, so I tried the go-to before that, it didn't, it didn't, it just really wouldn't do it. Um, but then after I did that, I said, go to uh, the moon and Mars. Um, it, it was, yeah, it would go to objects after that. So that's pretty impressive. That's pretty intuitive. So if you know a couple objects in the nighttime sky, you can just do the point and track on those. And then after you do that, um, you can just go and, uh, and tell it to go to other things if, if you wish, if you want to use that functionality, but, but you don't have to. So this is an extremely flexible mount. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really good. I can't wait to, to see it out. Um, uh, like with your 100 millimeter on it, I'd like to have a yeah. look through it and just see how, how it all handles and all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So here's some cons and I say cons ish. This is, this is kind of, some of this is kind of nitpicky stuff because, um, you know, I've been doing astronomy a long time and I think this mount is totally acceptable out of the box. So, so any of this is sort of taken with, with that in, into account. And it's also uh, well-priced. Um, I was actually looking at spending about $1,500 on a mount to, to have these same capabilities. And I, I think this is gonna pretty much do what I want it to do. Just need to kind of work out the uh, wobbliness of, of the 100. Now I know lots of people using 100 millimeters and 90 millimeters on these. So, so I, I think I can do it. And I you know, was observing, typically I don't go observing when it's 30 miles an hour wind. <laughs> yeah, but I just kind of, <laughs> I, I kind of wanted to test it out anyway and see. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think anything's gonna be that stable in, in those kind of conditions. All right, so some of the cons, cons-ish. Um, let's see. Number one is the tension knob on the 
you know, sort of the altazimuth, uh, you know, sort of going around and around, um, not the altitude, the azimuth, um, is a little tight and loosing it doesn't really seem to loosen it. It seems like this is a common complaint people have. Hmm. Um, and also the tension knob for that is on the far side of the telescope. So my understanding is that over time they've updated the software and you now need to mount the telescope on the left versus the right, which is fine. I usually want to mount on the other side, but it's not really that big a deal, even for those of us that prefer it. Like I'm a goofy foot, right? So <laughs> anyway, um, it doesn't really matter. But um, now the tension knob is on the far side. And so I think that is, is a little bit weak. And then even when you back it off, um, it seems pretty tight to move. And so don't like that because it seems like you could be fighting some gears and we get some pretty cold weather. So what people do, and I bought this even before I got the mount, um, is it's called a Faisal, F-E-I-S-O-L, PB-70 base. And this is this little, almost looks like a hockey puck, but it's only about two thirds the size of a hockey puck there. I mean, we are Canadian, right? We can say this. Um, it has, to, has to come back to hockey. It has to come back to hockey somehow. Um, and it sits between the, the base of the mount and uh, the top of the tripod. Uh, and it works beautifully. It dampens. It's got very smooth motions. You can put the tension knob wherever you want. I really like that. And it was pretty cheap. I think it was like $55 US. Um, to get so so there's that i also think the tripod that came with it little disappointed i heard some people like a lot of people use it and say oh it's not too bad whatever no i just didn't really care for it for a beginner it's going to be great like really it's it's a decent it's decent but like i couldn't get the legs all the same length somehow they're all off by anyway and it has the screw lag so i really like um, the knob tensioning to go up and down because that works a lot better in the cold. I don't like the ones that just kind of screw and unscrew. That always seems like a recipe for disaster for because I can't tell, right? Like with the knobs, I can really feel them, you know, grabbing purchase. Um, but it, it, you know, it seemed fine. I set up the living room with that and then I took it off and then I don't know if I'll use it. I, I was hoping I could use it for travel and I may because it's very lightweight. Um, so I may just need to play around with it a little bit more. Uh, it did come with a little pillar. I think that's good. Though some people say you got to watch that it doesn't unscrew or whatever. But I think, I think those people maybe aren't using the uh, PB70 base. And I think it's, it's because the mount uh, rotation in the azimuth is a little tight. And so it might cause that to unthread after, after a while. But I think that would take some working. Um, when I, when I first set it up on my Manfrotto, I played around with it in the living room for a while and kind of worked that out. I think that, that really isn't that big a problem, but, uh, you do need to get a different tripod. I have a Manfrotto O28B. I think you have the same. Mine, mine's, I think a slightly earlier model. Um, okay. it's a Bogan, uh, 3046, but okay. I basically the identical tripod. Yeah, it's, it's pretty soon. Now, with the 60 millimeter of your telescope, this would be perfect. I, I think I need a slightly heavier tripod for the 100. Yeah, Although, I, I could see that. I, I find even with my 76, especially with the Q extender in there, it's, yeah. it's not quite as stable as I would like it. Yeah, so I'm you know, kind of looking at, at new tripods, maybe. You know, I, I got to play around with it and see. I also have it on my deck. My deck is not that stable. It's 
stable enough to sit on and eat a hamburger. It's not stable enough for high power visual observing. At 17 power, it's great. At 170 power, it's a little shaky. Although that combination with the 60, I can run 171 power in the 60 millimeter and it's perfect. It's great. It's fine. Um, but down below I have mulch. Um, and one reason why I got all this mulch in my yard is so that I can set my tripods up and nice and flat. All right. So let's see. Um, so you need a good aftermarket tripod and, uh, also a lot of people are getting ADM dovetail clamp replacements. And I think I'm yeah. going to go with that route too, because there's a locking screw that locks into your dovetail and it, yeah, it just seems like a bit of a sketchy purchase on it. Well, and, uh, and that, you know, going with a wider clamp can make a world of difference too on your stability. So, you know, that might, you know, that might improve it enough that you don't feel the need to replace the tripod. Yeah. And it's a pretty inexpensive upgrade. It's around $70, I think. So uh, let's see. I'm not a big fan of using the iPhone at the telescope and just bright screens and telescopes. Yeah. I bought a hand controller. It's a little bit more futzy to set up than I would have liked. Uh, and this is really getting to picky. I think the point and track feature, it's so, it's so good. And I think this is what a lot of people should be using with the mount is I think that that should be higher up in the menu. And I think that they should have better instructions for going to that and using it. Cause I see a lot of people talking about getting the, um, go to and the tracking working on this mount. And I think that they should just try, uh, pointing it out a few objects they know using the point and track and then using the go-to feature. That's, that's okay. how, in my opinion, it should, should be described to work because that works amazingly well without having to level and blah, 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 and do all this other stuff. That just, that just works really well. So I think that's more of, a, more of an instructional thing. Um, oh, and you have to attach to the Wi-Fi each time. And I'm not sure how it would work where I, I might not have good cell service or other, other issues like where we go really far. So that's one of the other, other reasons why I have a, uh, I went that bought a hand controller. Um, it, has, it has a built-in wireless access point, I think, right? Like your, your Wi-Fi connect, like your phone connects directly to the mount using so Wi-Fi, here's, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. I want to try it. I'm not sure how the technology works exactly. I think it's pulling some information from the phone. And I think my phone is pulling some information from the data. Hmm. So I, I don't know what it's passing or not passing. I, I thought it was just kind of like a dummy Wi-Fi in use though. I'm not so sure. We'll have to see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and the I, other thing too, using a phone in cold weather just doesn't work. Phones, nope. when they get, you know, anywhere into single digits, they start to just turn off and not work. So that's when you need a, a hand controller for sure. Yeah. And let's see, uh, my recommendation for this mount, um, Somebody's if somebody's a beginner, I think it's a great mount, and the telescope options I think are excellent. Um, but I think if if somebody's in my position, I would just go and buy the mount alone, and then uh, and then maybe get the tripod uh, pillar if you so wish. But the the mount alone can be purchased, and you'd probably save a maybe a couple hundred bucks once it's all said in taxes and shipping and all that stuff in. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think going, and I can sort of do a bit of a roundup on this, the GTI versus the GTE. 
I definitely think it's worth spending the extra $50 Canadian to go with the GTI. I really like the point and track feature. And there's a lot of aftermarket stuff for this mount. So you can actually go and if you, you can really grow with it. So if you're a beginner, you can get this, you can get the inexpensive tripod that comes with it, get the tripod extension. You could probably dabble in things like astrophotography, visual observing, find out what you like. And then you can, maybe if you want to do visual observing, you can really start beefing up the mount and get some of this, this other stuff we were talking about, like a clamp and the, the geisel base, um, maybe some of the other stuff. And then um, if you want to go the astrophoto route, a lot of people are sticking with the tripod. They're able to get it working. I guess it is pretty stable, just a little low. I guess maybe it's my main criticism for it. And then, then it seemed uh, a little difficult to adjust. I only tried it once. Um, but you can buy all kinds of aftermarket things to turn it into a full EQ astro imaging platform. So the, the ability for this mount to run as a, as a go-to mount for a beginner, as, as a push point and track mount for intermediate or, or advanced observers with small telescopes, and the ability to uh, transform into a really you know, high-end capable uh, you know, tracking mount for, for the beginner astrophotographer or a portable astrophotography platform for advanced astroimagers. There's, there's nothing else out there that's like this that I've run across. I don't know about you, Shane, but. Nothing out of the box. Like um, you can get that uh, Vixen Porta 2 mount. Um, and then I think JMI sells some motors that you can install. So it becomes a push to tracking mount, but not a go-to. Yeah, um, when I, but like, when I you look, know, you're, you're spending a lot more too. Yeah, that, that costs more. Uh, I see a lot of people that, you know, those little tiny tracking mounts that you can just put on a tripod and put a camera head on. Mm-hmm. And then like, I see a lot of people have sold those and sold their smaller Altaz mounts and gone just to this mount because when they want to do the visual astronomy, they can, they can put their small telescopes on it. When they want to do that, that kind of astrophotography, they can put that on. They can turn it into an EQ mount. Um, just the flexibility of that. So anyway, I'll give it my rating. I give the Skywatcher AZ-GTI mount four out of five stars. Ooh, okay. Sounds like a winner. I think, I think it is a winner. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, it, it does what I wanted it to do, and it does it very easily and quietly. You can get it, take it out of the box, put on a mount, put your batteries in, turn it on, point out an object, tell it to track it, and it does that without any fuss, really. Well, that's really all you can ask for. Yeah. So that's my review. That's my first light review. I think it's, I think Skywatcher really hit it out of the park with that. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add, Shane? That is all, my friend. Okay. How can people stay in touch with us? You can find us on Twitter at Actual Astronomy. can email us. We are actualastronomy at gmail.com. You can leave feedback uh, by putting reviews in on any of the podcast platforms that you use, and we will reply to everything that comes our way. Thanks so much, Shane. Thank you, and thanks, everybody, for supporting the podcast.